Good morning, Solid Word. And for all those who are watching um, us on YouTube or on our website, we're glad that you're able to join us this morning. Um, we know that in light of all that has been happening um, in our city and in our nation and actually in our world, uh, <clears throat> we've had to change gears a little and to be able to bring this to you um, remotely. But we are excited that we can bring you God's word. And so um, this morning, wherever you are, I pray that you would allow the Lord um, by his spirit and through his word to be able to encourage you so that you'll be able to move forward in all that he has for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be together. Thank you, Lord, that we um, have this medium, Lord. We have this mode in which we can use, Lord, as life has <clears throat> seemingly thrown us a curve, Lord. We thank you that you are still God, Lord, that you are the mighty one and that we depend on you. Father, as we look into your word, I pray that we would allow it, Lord, to shape our thinking, to calm our hearts, Lord, to change and to sharpen our focus so that we may be vessels used by you and for your purpose and your glory. I pray, O oh God, that we would not let fear overtake us, but Lord, that we would be overtaken by a sense of your glory. And trusting in you firmly, Lord, we will demonstrate this glorious faith that has been given to us. So we commit our time to you, Lord, and ask you to be with us as we share in the word. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning, we're actually going to finish off the series that we have been in. As you know, for the last uh, six sessions, the last six sermons, we have been walking through this series called Gospel-Shaped Living, which is underneath a larger banner called the Gospel-Shaped Church. And that is because we were brought into being by the gospel, shouldn't we actually be shaped and live by that same gospel? And so over the time period that we had throughout this series, we've looked at, we've heard, and we've learned from these focus lessons. We've learned that we are the church, a light in the darkness. We've learned that we are a united church, or we are to be a united church in a dark world. We are to be a serving church in a selfish world. We are to be a generous church in a stingy world, a truthful church in a confused world, and last week, a joyful church in a suffering world. I'm really grateful for the grace of God that allowed us to journey in the text last week that we did. Last week was timely, as we are now faced with in our community, in our city, in our nation, and in our world a virus that has both spread quickly and has fueled fear strongly with many people. We know this is not a surprise to God. And we trust Him that through this crisis, we can stand in faith as we have through every other crisis for those who know the Lord. We can still have joy in the midst of the suffering that our whole world, including us, is actually experiencing. And so for us, what we want to understand is last week's message really is a place for us to actually shine with our faith. Why? Because God has allowed us to have joy in the middle of our suffering. 
We may be asked to quarantine ourselves. We may be asked to, to, to distance ourselves socially. We may be asked to not come to our jobs and to not be in school. And we may have had to cancel vacations and cancel scheduled events that we were looking forward to. And yet we can still have joy. Why? Because of who God is, because of Jesus Christ, and because of our faith in him. I'm really hoping that we understand that God has given us all we need to experience his joy, even if we are experiencing some pain at this particular time. We trust him and we trust that he would bring us through his way in this. Last week, we also saw something that was really critical that I want to bring up this week before we get started. We saw that God guards those who are going through hard trials. If we remember in first Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about guarding those who are his as they are going through hard trials. What was he guarding them from? He's not guarding them from trials because he said that you would be, it would be necessary for you to go through those trials. So he's not guarding us from going through trials. What is he guarding us from in those trials? Well, as we look at the text and as we understand the context, he is guarding us from those that, that belong to him, those that are truly his. He is guarding us from falling into unbelief so that we walk away from him and we don't trust him. He is guarding us so that when we are tempted to walk away, to bounce, to give God the two fingers, I'm out. What he does is he allows to well up in us a reminder of the scriptures that he has given us, if indeed we has been in his word, and he sustains us on the inside so that we don't give up, that we do trust him, even if we've started to fall off a little bit, he gets us back. So let the fact that your faith even is a gift from God and that you standing in him is by his strength and power, let that encourage you today. If you are worried, and even if you start to sense yourself falling into worry and fear, let the Spirit of God through, I mean, through the Word of God and the experiences of God in your past of how He's worked in your life, let that encourage you not to be overwhelmed by fear. If you belong to Christ, let the Scriptures and the power of the Spirit-filled life overwhelm you and cause you to stand strong in faith regardless of what is happening around you. That's what we learned last week. So remember this, SARS, MRSA, Ebola, influenza A or B or COVID-19 cannot take away the faith God has given you nor the trust you can have in him. None of it. And we have been given strength and power by him to stand in the faith of in the faith in Jesus Christ because of the salvation that we have. And so with that, I want to lead us into our session for today. I understand that we must use wisdom and caution as we move forward in these days, but we don't do it without fear. And so today we're going to unpack that last part of how to be the church in the world. The last session is how 
are we to be the church? And we're going to look at one aspect of that today out of the book of Galatians, chapters, I mean, chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 10. Twelve verses. And we're going to see that because God has set us free in Christ, that we will have the power to live in freedom according to the work of God in our lives. So let's read together. Starting at verse 25 of chapter 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his brother. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. And so as we look at this, we understand that Paul in this particular book was walking the Galatian believers as to how they can continue to walk in the freedom that Christ brings and not fall prey to those legalists, those who wanted them to live according to this um, stringent law that was never intended to be the end of what Christ had come to do, that it was to lead them and point towards Christ himself that we knew that the law was fulfilled in Christ himself. He is the apex of the law. And so, and so by living for him and in him, you actually have ultimate freedom. But that freedom was not to live as you want to. Many of us think today I come to Christ and then I can go live like I want because I, I have a get out of jail free card that I can just ask and be forgiven. And although there is forgiveness when we mess up and when we sin, we don't live with this, with this card that's just going to get us out so I can live like I want. No, that freedom that Christ actually gives is to live like we ought to, is to live according to his will is to live according to how he has intended for us to live as believers in relation to him and then, in, and then in relation to one another. And so that freedom was actually being threatened by those legalists that were trying to get them to live differently than what they've heard from the Apostle Paul. And so he was trying to help them to understand True freedom is in Christ. And how should we live and how should we be in this world as believers, as Christ followers? 
we should live totally free from the bondage of both sin and these regulations that fall short of the person of Christ, although they were pointing to him, that we were to live in freedom in Christ and thus be able to fully, to fully accomplish and fulfill all that God has intended. <clears throat> and so I'm going to look at four things this morning, four things. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to finish this phrase with those four things. Because you are free in Christ, you can. Because you are free in Christ, you can. Remember, how are we to be the church in the world? So firstly, because you are free in Christ, you can, number one, live daily by the same spirit that gave you life. You can live daily by the same spirit that gave you life. Verse 25 actually says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And as it reads in, in its original writing, it says, If by the Spirit we live, by the Spirit we should walk. And so it's saying that if you have been brought to life in Christ, not by an act of your own, not by some strength of your own, not by, not even your own, <clears throat> um, your own will. You, you kind of willed yourself into being this Christ follower. No, if indeed the reason you are standing as a believer alive in Christ is because of the work of the Spirit in your life, it is going to take a work of the Spirit to continue your life. And what was being threatened for the Galatian believers is they were, <clears throat> they were being told to go back to accomplishing your own salvation by your own works. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not saying that your works are not needed as you live out your life. Good works are a sign and a demonstration of what has already happened inside. So I don't work so that I can be saved. I work because I am saved. I work because God has made a change already in my life. And so what he was reminding them, he says, look, if we live by the spirit and we do, that's one of those that you can affirm. Or since we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step. And that is keep in step daily. Let us be listening for where the spirit is leading. Let us be looking for where the spirit is leading. Let us be learning about where the spirit is leading. And this is not some sort of super above the earth spiritual terrain, you know and learn all that from the scriptures. That's where we get it. We get it from the scriptures that have been laid out for us and, and, and for us today that have been given to us. To them, it was the apostles teaching at that time. And so that's why he could say to them earlier on, who bewitched you? Who fooled you? Who, who put you in this spell that you thought that you could somehow live differently than the way you were brought to life. For some of us, we learn that in other areas of life. Here it is. <clears throat> if, it got, if, if it took hard work and you studying and staying in your books for you to get into college, don't you think it's going to take that for you to get out of college? We do that in sports. If it took you practicing and watching film and, and doing all that you could do and working hard and spending extra time to get that position that you desire, didn't you think it would take that same thing 
for you to maintain it. Now, those examples I just gave you are of you doing the work. In this case, it is the Spirit doing the work. If it is by God's work in your life that you are brought to life, it will be by the work of the Spirit that you maintain your life. And so you are to do this instead of being like those who were disturbing the Galatian believers. And he gives you an example of what happens when you are trying to live on your own. Verse 26, helpless, it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so that is for us to think that this thing is about us. <clears throat> Look at me, because I've been at church every Sunday. But now you cannot. And so there's a break. Well, because I showed up whenever the doors were open or because I did and you fill in all the blanks, God should really have me high on his list. No, but what I actually realize instead is I am dependent on the work of the Lord in my life every day and I submit myself to him humbly knowing that if he doesn't do it in my life, it's not going to get done. And so instead of challenging one another and instead of um, envying and wanting to take advantage of my brother and sister, instead what I'm doing is I'm looking forward to supporting them. And so the bottom line is this. I don't think that I can do this life on my own. I realize it is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and it causes me to not be challenging and envying my brothers and sisters around me. Instead, what it causes me to do is to, which we'll get into the next one, is to look out for them. So the first one is to live daily by the same spirit that brought me to life. The second point is, if I'm going to be the church in the world, I've got to love daily, restoring those who have fallen. Understand, that first one says I need to live by the same spirit that brought me to life. The second one is I am loving now daily, restoring those who have fallen. So instead of challenging one another, what I am doing instead is I am restoring those that have fallen. How are we to be the church in the world? See, legalists, when you fall, <clears throat> are not looking to restore you. Legalists, when you fall, are looking to keep and continue to put you down, making you feel like you are less than because you could not keep up with the standard that you should have been keeping up with. And so the mark of a true Christian community is the caring and the love for those fellow members of the community when they fall. See, now, Someone is, is sitting here saying, see, that's what the problem is. <clears throat> All you guys taught love, 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 and no, one's hold, no one holds anyone accountable. That's not what they're saying here. What he is saying is the whole point of this, that, of this instruction is that as true believers, we should be in the world people who want to restore those who have fallen away from what God has intended for them in life. Instead of wanting to throw them under the bus, put them down, throw them out, 
render them useless, God is saying instead that you are looking to restore. So the mark of Christian community is caring and love. How else do I love daily restoring, restoring those who have fallen? Verse 1 of chapter 6 give us clear instruction. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Look at what he's saying. He says that as those who are a part of the church, what you are to do first amongst family members is to make sure that you are looking to get people restored that are walking off course. That means that you are paying attention to their lives, not looking for them to fall, but you are walking in relationship with them, trying to, uh, trying to continuing your, your, your caring and love for them. And when you see that they are caught up, they are snagged, they are snared, they are trapped in a fault, instead of going, see, I told you, man, I've been trying to warn you all along. You, you should have listened. See, now, had you not gotten yourself into that, we wouldn't be in this mess. And I'm not saying that you, that you don't help them not to get back in that situation, but what you do instead is that your first goal is to get them restored. And then Paul gives us how we are to help them restore. It said, you who are spiritual, or literally you spiritual ones. Well, what does he mean spiritual? Those of you who have been brought to life by the Spirit and you are growing in your faith, you are the ones that need to approach those who are caught in a sin. And then he tells you how to do it. He didn't go, don't go in there being all rough, messing things up, hurting people in the process. He says, with gentleness, do you notice when he mentions that, that if you go back in chapter 5, that is one of the fruit of the Spirit, is gentleness. And so he says, you who are allowing the Spirit to control you, you go with one of the characteristics of the Spirit being in control, and that is gentleness. You handle them gently, knowing that they are trapped, just like if you saw an animal with its leg trapped in some sort of animal trap, you wouldn't just go and try and rip it out because you may actually cause more damage in your, in your uncaring actions than the damage that they're in. He says instead, with gentleness, restore them. That with gentleness, let your goal be to get them back right before God and with one another in the community of believers. And that is your goal. And I like this, and he says, as you're doing that, he says, you are... You are not being conceited. Why? You are watching out for yourselves. You don't run in there thinking, this could never happen to me. I don't know how you let that happen. I don't know what your issue is, but for me, that'll never happen. He said, no, no, no. When you walk in, your gentleness allows you to understand this could be me if I don't allow the Spirit of God that brought me to life to work in me, that I'm walking in step with the Spirit. This could be me. And what ends up happening is that you understand that it is only by the work of the Spirit that I'm not on the other side of this conversation. And so he says to us, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch 
on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And, and, and it may not be tempted with what he's tempted, but your temptation is to be conceited and to think that you're above that. And then you trip and fall in the sin of conceitedness, which he's been talking about since verse 25 of chapter 5. And then he tells us, here's the goal. Listen, love daily, restoring those who have fallen. He says, <clears throat> bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, remember, they were trying to get them to go back to just the rudimentary elements of the law. And what he was saying is fulfill the law of Christ of loving God and loving others. Fulfill the law of Christ. And, and, and actually, you, you turn and you love God first. And your love for God will cause you to love others rightly. Live daily by the same spirit that brought me to life. I see that I am to love daily, restoring those who have fallen. And then I get into a third point as we get into verse 4. I need to learn daily to carry my own load or responsibilities. I need to learn daily to carry my own load or my own responsibilities. There is this tension that exists here that Paul says, <clears throat> as believers, as a church, we, will, we should be caring for others and looking out for their well-being while taking care of our own business, understanding we're going to give an account for our own lives. They will as well, but at that time, they need help from the outside so that they can get back in line to begin to live knowing that they will be held accountable. But what Paul reminds them of, he, he says, listen, y'all need to learn daily that you need to take care of your own responsibilities. Don't be the person that always wants others to take care of them and they never stand and take care of themselves. There were some difficult people to be around. <clears throat> always looking for you to do something. Always looking for you to, to be able to give to them. Never looking to give out. Never looking to help. Whenever there is something to be given, there they are. Showed up. Hand out. Ask it. But when there is something to be given, you can never find them. And what God is telling us through the scriptures here, he says, listen, but let each one test his own work and making sure that you are living right and doing right and taking care of your own responsibilities as a believer because you have to stand alone in your answer to God, although you are standing in a community expressing your faith in God. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, you can't talk about how I helped so-and-so, and, and, and that's the thing I brag about. Well, don't you know I, I, I gave to that family. The last five times they needed help, I gave to them. As a matter of fact, when you see me, I'm always doing something for someone else. And God is telling us here, test your own work. Look at your motives. Why are you doing what you do as you are the church in the world? Is it because you love me and thus you love others? Or is it because you're trying to pad your impressiveness in the world and you want people to feel good about you or to think good about you because of what you do for others and yet you can't stand and be held accountable for your own works before the Lord. What does it look like me going to help everyone else around town and I can't take care of my own family? Or let me put it closer to home, what it looks like for me to look at how I can help everyone else grow 
and my faith is stunted and is not growing at all because I'm not walking in obedience to Christ. And so he says, yes, care for one another, but understand you are going to be held accountable for your own life as well. <clears throat> and so he says in verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so it is this issue of personal re responsibility on one end and in the other hand or on the other end, helping to take care of those in the community. This is how we are to be the church in the world. And so we've heard today that we are to live daily by the same spirit that brought us to life, that we are to love daily, restoring those who have fallen, and that we are to learn daily to carry our own responsibilities, knowing that we will be held accountable. And then lastly, it says, and I want to share with us that we are to look out daily for what we are sowing because of what we can reap. We are to look out or watch out daily for what we are sowing because it can be what we will reap. Here's what it says in verse 6. I'm <clears throat> sorry, verse 7, excuse me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And understand what he's saying here. He says, listen, we understand that principle <clears throat> of sowing and reaping, and especially in these societies that were agrarian, and many of them understood that concept. And, and, and many of us today even understand that concept. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we use that phrase a lot. Whatever a man sows, he'll reap. But I don't know that we believe that because sometimes we're surprised with the harvest that we have. We didn't think that we should get what we have. But if we were to look back at our life, that's exactly what we should get because that's what we've been planting. That's what we've been watering. That's what we've been sowing. And so the harvest of confusion, the harvest of mess in your family, the harvest of not being able to take care of yourself financially, many times, I know not all, many times comes at our own hands because we've been sowing unfaithfully in God and now we find ourselves reaping from that unfaithfulness. And so he warns them in his text. He says, listen, understanding that personal responsibility is critical. Why? Here's why. Because it's going to be coming back to you in some way. You are going to be sowing in some way from what you've been, I mean, reaping from what you've been sowing. You are going to have a harvest one way or the other. The question is, what are you planting? Sometimes we get mad at folk that seem to be reaping all these blessings and people that are caring for them and coming to them. And, and why is it that when they're in help, they get people to come their way? And why is it when they ask people to come and assist, they get more than they need? And why is it that people seem to be always caring about? It's because they were probably people that were doing that before to others. They weren't doing it to get, 
but that's been who they were. And so what ends up happening is that they sow that and they reap it. Now, I know this has been used and this has been abused financially. This is not a financial scripture. Although the principle can be applied throughout life, Paul here is talking about personal behavior, personal responsibility, personal lifestyle. He is saying to you and I today, watch out how you live as you live in the community of Christ because there is a harvest after you've been planting. What are we as a church sowing and then looking forward to reaping in this community? When we sow care, when we sow love, when we sow looking out for people, when we sow sacrificially living and giving, when we sow, you know, I'm going out of our way to make sure people are cared for and restored, God will allow that to be reaped by this ministry, by the people in this church, by the people that call themselves members here. And so we have to realize God is not mocked. You are not getting away with anything, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Sowing and reaping will happen. So then he encourages them because sometimes when you are bearing up under holding someone that is being restored and when you are living with one another and, 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 and people fall off the wagon and people go off course, it can be wearying for you to be the one that always does good. You say, why am I the only one that always have to do good? Why am I the only one that always uh, 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 have to come back and do what the scripture says? Why can't they? And the reminder that God says is in verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, or when the time is ripe, or during the harvest for that that you are doing, that in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And here is the condition. He says, look, look out daily for what you are sowing. He says, because it can, that the whole thought that you know that God is not mocked, that sowing and reaping happens, he wants you to understand that when you do good, God doesn't leave it unnoticed. Now, you're not doing good to get back for the Lord. Notice he didn't say what you were going to reap. Don't come tell God that I want tenfold, I want twentyfold because I gave 20 bucks in church. He's not telling you about that. He says, because you have a heart of giving and you may give your finances, you may give of your time, you may give of your resources, you may give of your intellect, that God will in turn continue when the time is right, that he will allow you to reap whatever he decides. And this is what I like. When is the time right? Only God knows. You and I can't dictate that. What will I reap? Only God knows. You and I can't dictate that. So it all is in God's hands. All he wants me to do is to do what's right. And boy, sometimes it is tough because it can be wearying when you are doing good and others around you seem to not be. In this world, we are to do good. Well, where are we to do good and how? And he tells us, he says, look, 
at the end, he says, if we don't give up, if we don't quit, if we don't walk away, and we've learned from last week that God is the one who is guarding our hearts, helping us not to quit and give up, and reminding us of what he has done in our life. And so he tells us, don't quit, don't give up, don't walk away, don't get scared, don't worry about what's happening around you. God is the one who is allowing reaping to happen, and God is the one who has given you the strength to sow. So he says in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to, to those who are of the household of faith. I love that. He says, look, he says, as you are looking out daily for what you were sowing, lastly, look out for opportunities to do good. Number one, especially among other believers. I don't understand Christians that say, I can't stand being around other Christians. There's a couple of things in place. Sometimes I understand that believers can get on your nerves because they're human just like anyone else can get on your nerves. I understand that. And I understand that you probably get on people's nerves as a believer just as, as, as others do as well. But he says here, there should be this affinity. You should, uh, uh, um, um, there should be this endearingness, uh, tendency about you that you love being around those who are of like faith, even if they get on your nerves sometime. He said that you are to do good. You are to do that which benefits, especially those within the household of faith, those that are believers, those that are following Christ like you. You should be looking for opportunities to do good, not looking for opportunities to take advantage of people not looking for opportunities to take wherever you can. He says you should be looking as the church in this world to do good, and it's not just the household of faith. He said, but especially for believers. But that also means that doing good is outside of the church as well. This is not some sort of social club that we come in just for the benefits of those that come in our doors. He says we are to get out of here and to do good because that honors God. And because of that, and because of that, because of that, the light of Christ will begin to shine and will shine strongly and people will look in and they will see that Christ is real and they will see that he is who he says he is and that his church, oh my goodness, they're amazing. How are we to be the church in the world? We are to live daily by the spirit that gave us life. We are to love daily, restoring those who have fallen. We are to learn daily to carry our own responsibilities. And we are to look out daily for what we are sowing. Let me ask you some questions for reflection today as you go and you spend time alone and with your families or even by yourself. Who is restored because of my help? Who is being restored because of me as a spiritually maturing believer came alongside of them gently and I am looking to bring them back to God and back into fellowship with other believers? Who is being restored because of God's work in me and through me? <clears throat> Second thing. Whose burdens are being lifted when theirs are too heavy by my help? Whose burdens are being lifted when theirs are too heavy by my help? 
Am I coming alongside of anyone or am I just looking for an opportunity to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can? Third and last question. How are you persistent, persistent and consistent in doing good when it is tempting to quit from weariness? Let me ask that again. How are you persistent or being persistent and consistent in doing good when it is tempting to quit from weariness? Allow God's word to settle you, calm you, and then to work through you to let God be seen and let the life of Christ shine through and that God's church, that the church that Christ bought with his blood would indeed be seen in all her glory on this earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, we love you and you know it's because you loved us first. It was an act of your will, O oh God, that we are here today. It was an act of what you decided and what you wanted. And Father, we pray today that because we are free in Christ, we can do these things that Galatians mentions here. Because we are free, Galatians 5.1 says that it was for freedom that we've been set free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And Father, I pray that we would live freely to do and to live as we ought, not to live as we want. <clears throat> Father, as we deal with this virus, as we deal with its effects, and as we deal with the unknown in the future, Lord, may we stand here and let it be our, our, our turn to shine brightly in this world, letting them see and know, O oh God, who Jesus is because of who we are around them. Father, let us not grow weary in doing good, Lord, knowing that we will reap, Father, in the due season and when the time is right, <clears throat> because you are the one who is bringing it about. Strengthen us, Lord, for the journey. Be with us this week and help us, O oh God, to be able to look forward to opportunities of doing good. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.